Welcome to People's Church Podcast. There's a uh, thing in life that I think we're all pretty used to, and that is that there are decisions made around us that we don't control and affect us incredibly. We're going to pay attention to that today because in this series we're talking about rebooting things that matter to us. And one of the things in life that matters to us is other people's decisions and the lost ground that can come because of decisions made by others around us. Not just in that you lost ground where you're at, but it held you back from ground you want to gain. People have a huge influence. In fact, it is constant, consistent. And their decisions and their ability to say yes, no, maybe, wait, has an awful lot to say about your journey. So we're going to talk about what do you do when people are making decisions around you that are not just fitting with your plan or your timing or the way that you really saw things coming about in the dream that you've got in your heart. So we're going to dive into that today. Um, How many enjoyed the drive? How many drove from out of town today? How many drove from out of town today? Wow. How'd you enjoy the fog? That was uh, interesting at times, wasn't it? And then you get behind somebody going really, really slow. Have you noticed that? Okay, how come I'm the only one that notices that? Maybe for obvious reasons, maybe I'm going too fast. But, wow, beautiful. But I'm glad to see you here today, despite the fog. You know, we get really nice weather in January, and then we get this with it, right? It's just part of the deal and uh, stuff. Things that matter to us, matter to us because they're connected to our heart. The things that aren't connected to your heart don't really matter to you. You may even say they do. We may use the words, but if they're not connected to your heart, they really don't matter to you. But one thing that really does seem to matter to us is that uh, we want control of the timing and the, not just the dreams of our life, but how they're going to come about. And that just isn't the way of faith or the way of trust. And we're going to talk about Joseph a bit today. Much of Joseph's life is, was including uh, a series of painful losses that originated with others. The decisions of others. But God used those decisions to position Joseph for the fulfillment of his God-given dream. And in fact, his dream then ended up saving entire nations. God can give you dreams, and you'll have dreams that emerge in your heart, but you're not going to be able to control all the factors of the dynamics around it. In fact, you won't control most of them. But you do control absolutely the content of what you're going to bring to your life. Other people can't steal your content unless you give it away. Their decisions can't unless you give it away. So if it's the content that matters, then we have to say the container matters. The container that we present to God for his dream matters. And we can destroy our containers, and then God is not able to carry us forward in what he really wants. So let's dive into it a little bit. We're going to take a look at seven losses that he went through. Uh, Setbacks are a part of life. It's just normal. In fact, there's the old saying, what, that there is no comebacks without setbacks, right? So you need the setback to get the comeback. And so setbacks are a part of life. If you haven't experienced setbacks, um, I I don't know, something's wrong. You're not breathing. Um, There's something that's just not square or kosher with you. Other people 
are going to cause you also those kinds of setbacks or losses in life. Everybody loves the story of a great comeback. Linda and I watched a movie recently about swimmers from Syria that were two sisters and they got caught in the war zone uh, just about 10 years ago. And in that war zone in Syria, uh, they ended up making a choice about, mm, I think it was 2015, to get to Germany. And it was at that time Germany was welcoming a lot of the immigrants. And so they, they left and had an amazingly close run with death on the sea between uh, Turkey and Greece. And uh, they made it, and then they had horrific challenges just getting to Germany. They had been swimming and trained by their father, and they had this one big dream, the one girl did, to swim in the Olympics. She ended up, she did swim in the 2016 Rio Olympics and won in the butterfly, 100-meter butterfly. But she didn't swim for Syria because she couldn't swim for Syria. She swam for the refugee team. Do you remember they introduced the refugee team at the Olympics 2016? She swam. Her name was Yusra. And so she swam in that. And talk about a comeback and it was, it's one of those amazing stories. It's called Swimmers. Movie, I think it's PG-13. Uh, but it's got a, a great story of comebacks. We love comeback stories. People coming from the worst of circumstances. Joseph, this guy is king of comebacks. There is nobody that had the, the, the resilience, the ability that he knew what was imperative at those key moments to take the right steps despite other people's decisions. And people made some huge bad decisions around him. Your setbacks will be in areas like health, <coughs> financial, relational, career, emotional, emotional. They, they, they'll hit us in every area. And what makes them so difficult to handle is we can't see what God can see. We cannot see uh, beyond basically what's immediately there in our presence. You know, God uses both closed doors and open doors to advance us. It doesn't matter to him whether it's a closed door or open door, he'll advance us. And God is always working on the container so that the container, you, can house his dream. He's working on what's happening in you. Let me give you a little background on Joseph's story. Uh, God promised a man named Abraham that he was going to build a great nation through his family. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob, and God later changed his name to Israel. And that's where we get the nation of Israel and all the Israelites from. Jacob had 12 sons, which out of his seed, came the 12 tribes of Israel. And he had 12 sons from four different women. Uh, So his family is a little mixed up in ways, a lot of complicated relationships. Uh, You would expect to find that in that kind of a blended family with four moms. And uh, he's got 12 half-brothers and at least one sister whose name is Dinah from four different moms. It's just a recipe for confusion and challenge and competition. The second of the youngest of those 12 brothers is Joseph, our subject today. Now, one thing about Joseph you've got to know here. This guy, in Genesis, there's 50 chapters. It's called, it's known as the, that's called the book of beginnings. 14 of the 50 chapters are given over to Joseph's life. God is saying, notice this. Notice this guy. 
Notice how I work with him. Notice how it is to work with you. This story is given 14 of those chapters. Now, he's described this way. He's good looking, he's smart, he's talented, he's a dreamer, and all the girls are saying, what's his address? He just got it all. There's nothing he doesn't have when you measure it out like, wow, this guy's well put together. He's well put together. And he's favored by his parents, even pampered by his parents, and he's hated by his siblings. He's hated by them. Why is he hated by them? Well, we're going to look at it. First one of his losses we want to take a look at in Joseph's life is this. He lost a nurturing family. He never had it, really. He had, there are some real dynamic messes in this family. Let's just read the first scripture on hand here. Genesis 33, 3 to 5. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. How many know that is a bad parenting error right there? Okay. Now, you will have easier children and harder children, but there must never be a love difference to the children. Would you agree with that? If you agree with that, would you just kind of do this? Okay, why do I want your response on this? It's too big a point. All need your same quality of love. How many have one hard child and one not so hard? Or how many have eight hard children and one that's really sweet? That was my mom. (laughs) You're not to favor, but he did. And so competition was early in this family and rooted deeply in the brothers. And listen to the story. So then any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. I don't know whether it was, uh, you know, wow, still got it. And at this age, I have no idea. And he made an ornate robe for him. Ornate doesn't mean, it often comes across his multicolored robe. We don't really know that. It can be interpreted many different ways. It's ornate. It could have been jeweled. It could have been, it's just ornate. And then it goes on and it says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. There wasn't one slice of his life that they celebrated or could bond with him with. They had closed the doors to anything like that because they were now competing uh, for the father's value and love. Because love equals value. And they weren't feeling the value. And so there was this consistent competition that was initiated between them and his family had this going on in the core and you might have had that growing up in a family too where it wasn't so just nurturing but rather competitive for the attention or it was maybe other things that are just negative and you didn't have great relationships with your family. They weren't supportive or encouraging to you. They fought your design. They, they didn't like this part about you. They, they couldn't find much to celebrate about you. You may have been in that. You may have experienced that. If you've gone through that kind of stuff in life, I mean, what do we say other than I am sorry 
that you went through that. Joseph did too. That is hard things to go through. He lost this nurturing family. God uses pain. He uses pain when we're growing up. And he does it to shape. Now, if we don't have God shaping the pain, then we just have pain shaping the pain. And then other things start to emerge in our life like resentments and bitterness that don't have a bottom to them. They just keep growing roots and controlling every other area of your life. And they keep shaping you. But when God is allowed to work that in our life, God begins a real shaping in our life. And he's shaping this young man. Not just in the family. Did he have a loss? He also had a loss in this. He was, in, he was placed in personal harm. He had the severest rejection, a rejection so deep that they wanted to do personal harm to him. They, they had no more borders or boundaries on the anger that seethed deep within. They had no more restraint, no more reins to rein that in. The, Joseph experienced that. And this again was the decision of the brothers. Listen to the scriptures, Genesis 37 again. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. These are his brothers. I mean, they were, we're talking about physically, mur physically murder him. Here comes that dreamer, exclamation mark, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now that is definitely a setback. That's a loss. That is a place now where harm, physical harm, his very life is being threatened. And he's not even really fully in touch with this. See, Joseph wasn't really fully in touch with this competing world. He just understood he wasn't quite a fit with the others. But look at how deep these things can go. Have you ever surprised yourself with the depth of how deep it can go? Sometimes the anger in a day, hopefully just a day, has it ever just kind of caught you by surprise or, 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 or something maybe even like things like bitter? Like, wow, I didn't realize how deeply that was embedded in me. Or pride? Has it ever, have you ever woke up one day to your pride and you say, oh my gosh, look at the lens I'm looking at other people through here. I can't believe this is that deep in me. By the way, those are treasured moments when you see that. Those are good moments. Because they bring into the reality of your life an awareness of the very things that God wants to change because they're in competition with him. Personal harm. Oh, how deep it was running in these guys and Joseph was the object of it. He was only 17 years old at this time. That's how old he was. It's pretty tough at 17 to have your brothers plotting to kill you. Pretty tough at 17 to have that kind of an experience that he's about to experience here where he's thrown into a pit. He's rejected by them absolutely. You have no value to us. We don't understand you. We're cutting you out. We, we've cut you out a long time ago, you little idiot. Don't you even realize it? Sometimes I use language just to try and wake you up a little deeper. 
just be glad I don't use some of the language that goes through here. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm not really kidding. <clears throat> Severe rejection. Huge loss. Family's meant to be, God designed it to be the most encouraging, safe, celebrating place in your life. The place where you find the deepest safety, the deepest encouragement, the deepest stand by me. Tragically, that might be the rarity. But you can do different. So they just wanted, they wanted to kill him. They get talked out of it by Reuben, the eldest, and says, just put him in a pit. And uh, he makes a little compromise, and Judah comes up with a really good idea. He says, uh, hey, there's a caravan. Let's sell this guy. He's used for others' personal gain. Have you ever been used for other people's personal gain? Have you ever been in a group where somebody has used you in a way that tries to make them look better, more superior, and they've knocked you down? Have, they, have you ever had anybody uh, in a partnership take advantage of you in a monetary way? All of a sudden, you know, they, they say, hey, this guy's no good to us, like dead. Here's a caravan. Let's sell him. Let's make something off of him. So they did. They sold him. These caravans would have camels loaded down with spices of balm and myrrh. And balm is like sort of a healing kind of a thing. And myrrh is the, uh, the, the death spice. It's the one that the, one of the three wise men, we'll say three, brought to Jesus. Because isn't that an amazing thought? They brought myrrh to Jesus because... Here's God in the flesh, and they're saying, you're going to die. God is going to experience death. Just making a few ties for you. I don't know where these sidelines come from sometimes, but that's all right. Sell it for 20 shekels. By the way, the going rate at that time was, would have been around 30 shekels. They sold them cheap. So they sold them for 20 shekels. You know, partners sell out partners in this life. Bosses will sell out employees. Employees will sell out bosses. Relationships can be tossed away in order to make more money. This world can be a very nasty place. It's going to provide for you losses, some setbacks, because of other people's decisions. You've gone through it. You know exactly what I am talking about. But God, despite the wrong motivation of the brothers, is forming the container and getting ready for the content of the dream that Joseph has had, that God has this special place for him in this world that will achieve something that nobody else has been chosen to achieve. And he's going to be brought into a place of some kind of authority and he's going to have the power to do some very good things. God is working on the container. God is providing the content. And pain is part of Joseph's journey. There's a lot of things in this life like that. The fourth one is, you know, look, family identity. He had lost his family identity. Look at verse 31. 
They got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father. So we found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Now I want you to notice something right here, right now. They asked their father this. We found this, examine to see whether it is your son's robe. They didn't say, is this our brother's robe? Your sons. They had already taken him out of any kind of family ID. They didn't want to be identified with him. And he lost his family identity. He didn't fit the family mold anymore. So they were changing the definition of their own family without Joseph. He recognized and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So to him, his son is dead. His family ID is now God. He, gone. He lost it. As far as his father's concerned, he's in the grave. And the only place his father will ever see him again will be in the grave itself. So his father wept for him. There's different ways to be dead to the constructs of our life. You've been cut out of people groups before. You've been, you have. You, you've lost things that you would count as your ID definition. There are things in our life that, that uh, we hook our ID up to. Sometimes it's our profession. Sometimes it's our money. Sometimes it's our giftings. We hook up our IDs to these things. And then those things can be changed. You can lose your divorce. In divorce, you can use your ID. You can lose it in broken relationships of all sorts because your ID was founded in those things. As a mother, you might have lost your ID. You, you might have lost your child. And who am I now? As a father, business loss, setbacks are not the end of the story. They do not have to be that. Joseph is given a brand new ID and an even better ID. Number five is loss of freedom. Freedom is precious. I mean, we love our freedom. You love your freedom. Um, you know, just that's been said, if you really want to see a squabble and competition, put two men on the couch, one, one TV, one remote, and put the remote right between them. <clears throat> I mean, the fact is, is that losing freedom of choice, freedom to choose that I'm not a part of this anymore, or that I will be a part of that, or to move from here to there. Imagine all of those freedoms taken away from you. The freedom to relocate, or dream beyond, or think of a new place to live, or, uh, or a new relationship to start, or the freedom to make basic choices like, uh, I'm going to start a family. Imagine all of those basic freedoms taken from you. That was, the, that was the condition of the slave. And he was sold into slavery. And so he lost his freedom. Take a listen to the scripture. 
Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So now he's lost freedom, total freedom. He has freedom only within the ramifications that Potiphar decides he has freedom. Joseph goes from being a pampered son in his father's home to being a slave in somebody else's home. Sometimes we can lose our freedoms at seasons of life too because we know we need to have the season to do this and do this. And sometimes you can really get almost bitter about the routine that you have to put in in some of the roles of your life and you lose connection with the meaning of roles. I've got to be there for my kids. I've got to continue to do this in my home. I've got to go to work. I've got to do this. You know, those phrases, I've got to, those are like anti-freedom statements. Would you agree? I've got to. Well, there's a whole different framework and perception that you can come up with in dealing with the routines of life. You don't have to get into I got to kind of thing. We let those things have the reins of our life. You know, Pharaoh might have thought he had the reins of Joseph's life, but he really didn't have the reins. Potiphar had, Potiphar didn't have the reins. It was, it was God. God was working through this process. Joseph could have said, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to be some slave. He could have played the rebellion card for the rest of his life. One day I will be free. One day I will break this yoke and I will not. By the way, that can be the retirement mindset. Whatever Joseph did and wherever he went, he did the best he could with what he had for his Lord. He served with a whole heart to honor God with good work and good character. Content and container. He was providing the best container in the worst of circumstances so God could pour the best of what God had into him despite the circumstances. What container are we presenting when we go through these kinds of losses? The sixth was lost reputation. He experiences huge injustice. Here's a guy that has worked for his master, Potiphar, with all his heart, so that in the end, God gets the honor. And Potiphar had watched this happen, and he honored him, brought him up. The scripture I actually wanted was Acts 6.19, and I probably wrote Genesis But in the book of Acts 6.19, Stephen is referring right back to Joseph. And he's saying the Lord was with Joseph all the way through. 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 Number seven, this guy was abandoned and forgotten. See, Potiphar's wife had a lust problem. And remember how good and well put together this, this young man was? 
Well, she decided that she wanted him. She badgered him all the time. She just badgered him all the time. Joseph continuously just refused. In fact, he even refused to be in the same space as her, unattended by other slaves. Until one day, he's working in the house. Sure enough, no other slaves present. She comes in, comes up behind him, grabs his cloak, and says, you take me now. And he says, why would I do that to my Lord? Why would I do that to my master? And he runs, leaving his cloak. He runs. Young man, you want to run. He runs out of that situation. She accuses him as soon as Potiphar comes home. She's got his cloak. First she brings the other slaves in. Then she starts this whole big story that, oh, he he attacked me, he attacked me. Potiphar just loses it. He's captain of the guard, remember? Puts him into the prison. And I'm sure it wasn't the best cell of the prison. How many setbacks can you endure in life? With great dreams, and yet nothing in the real world is matching up with what you feel in here. Or the pictures that you were given. How do you deal with a life with such dichotomies? Sometimes we have problems because we did wrong things. And we brought the problem on ourselves. But there are other times that we have problems for doing the right thing. And that's where Joseph was at. He had done the right thing. He had refused to do something that would have compromised who he was in this world and how he served his God. So he ends up in prison. And look at the scriptures. But when all goes, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. This is Joseph speaking to the butler of Pharaoh. Because what had happened is the butler and the baker were thrown into the prison by Pharaoh. And so his official baker, his official butler was thrown in there and uh, they had dreams one night. Joseph had already become though in charge of the entire prison because of his character. He again worked his way through the ranks and it looked, and it, it was so obvious that, that he was blessed this way that the one that headed the prison just kept giving him more response, give him more response, give him more responsibility and he kept expanding in his responsibilities until he's basically running the show in there. These guys have dreams. Joseph notices that they're disturbed that next morning when he brings them their food. He's serving them. He said, what's disturbed you? They said, we had these dreams. So he says, oh, tell me the dream. I'll interpret it for you. God will give me what the meaning is. They share their dreams. Good news for one, bad news for another. The baker ends up... The butler is reestablished back to his former position. And what Joseph just said, what we read, was Joseph saying, don't forget me. Don't abandon me. 
Remember the kindness I've done to you. When you are back in your position, remember. Have you ever done good by people and then it gets forgotten really fast? Of course you have. And that's what had happened here. He was again abandoned, forgotten. He continues to serve. He can make sure his container is good. The content of God and what he's putting in his life is growing. He's getting stronger without even realizing he's getting stronger. But now he is now in charge of running Pharaoh's prison. Now what happens is that you probably know most of the story. Pharaoh then has a dream a couple years later. Pharaoh has a dream. And he can't get the interpretation. And the butler goes, oh. And in that wow moment, he says, I know a guy. When I was in prison, be careful when somebody says that to you, okay? (laughs) I know a guy. And he'll interpret for you. So, they clean him up, bring him up. Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph interprets it. Let's just stop the story there for a second. See, you're going to go through many of these, and I don't know which ones you identify the, with the most, but you will identify with a lot of these in the area of personal loss and setbacks in life. Things that you yourself never originated, but they originated in the descending power of other people around you. Whether it be power within your family, whether it be power of somebody that has control of way too much of your freedom, or whether you are in a position of complete injustice where you really haven't deserved what has come your way. Have your children ever done something to hurt you even though you didn't deserve it, parent? There's all kinds of things in life that are going to be unjust that you're going to live, live through. And he does. So what made this guy so resilient? What made him thrive in the middle of all of this? I'm going to give you three things quickly. He thrived in God's presence no matter where he was. The presence of God for him and the reality of God and his faith was not subject to a circumstance that he was in, whether it was the depth of the circumstance, the repetition of the circumstances, or the length of the circumstances. It was just a matter for him that said, this is another thing that I'm just staying in the presence of God in. No matter where he was, in the pit first. Look at this scripture, Acts 7, 9 to 10. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him. You see that phrase, God was with him? He just knew that and stayed in it. See, God has been with you, not just when things go good or when things are absolutely checking off, you know, the right boxes. God is with you when all the wrong boxes are being checked off. And when you are not the one even checking off those wrong boxes, but somebody else around you. God is with you. 
You have to then learn how to live in his presence and not in just the circumstance when it's up or down. In the pit. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Genesis 39, 1 to 2. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph. He could have ended up in some shack, in some shanty, in some bad area of Cairo or Memphis. But here he was. He was in the captain of the guards. House. God was with him. He prospered. Even as a slave... His success pattern stayed in place. He continued with the same pattern that he always did. God is with me. I know God is here. I know that God is with me as a slave as much as he's with me as a prince of Israel. I know that his presence doesn't move when I do. It's with me always. He was so sure of God's presence. You need to thrive in God's presence so that circumstances do not reign or control your choices or responses in life. These are critical moments in life of choosing of our own accord. Is when all of these negatives take place, these setbacks, when these losses take place. And Joseph's thing to loss, sitting in a pit, it says the Lord was with him there. The Lord was with him when he became a slave in Potiphar's house. In each time, we see the same phrase, God was with him. Live in that. I don't know what circumstance you're in right now that feels like a pit, but God is with you. You need to just live in that presence. At Potiphar's place. Genesis 39, 3 to 5. When his master saw that the Lord was with him. See it? The Lord was with him. And that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Now, you say, success? He's a slave. Yeah, but he was a successful slave. You say, well, what's, what's the good in that? Are you kidding? Do you want to be a slave that's going through the worst of it or a slave that's successful? Successful in this. God is able to take what is normally intended to diminish who you are and your value and your ID and rob from from you all of the good stuff and keep you all of the good stuff in you even though the circumstances are bad around you. So Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. More or less, he's no normal slave anymore. 
Now he's risen to be the attendant or the manager of the businesses and household of Potiphar. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, including that means his businesses that would always run out of a household. And he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Potiphar did. He figured it out. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Is your business that you work for blessed because of you? Your family blessed because of you? That is what happened here. God even not just was there with Joseph and made him successful, his presence there with him. His presence was upon him and thereby it was upon Potiphar and his household. And here's Potiphar enjoying the very blessing of the Lord because of Joseph, even though he's going to falsely accuse him. The blessing of the Lord was in everything Potiphar had, both in the house and the field. Now in prison. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Again. These are years apart. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Container, content, container, content, container, content. Let's make a great container. Let's fill it with great content. Let's not let the downs of life, let's not let the setbacks, the losses of life wreck the container so it can contain nothing. And let's make sure that we have a good container so that when God wants to pour in content that's necessary for his dream, he can and it'll hold it. It'll hold it. Your life is to hold the dream of God. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was, there it is again, there it is again, repeat, repeat button, repeat button, repeat button. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Approximately 14 years later, things will change. The second thing they have to make sure you do that will really help with resilience is trust God's plan and promise. No matter how long it took, no matter how long it took, he trusted God's plan and promise. Time did not change his trust. Delay did not stop his belief. Compiling circumstance upon circumstance did not stop the process of trust. One negative after another. One huge loss after another. One decision that was outside his realm to control after another. Which shaped the reality of his circumstances, but it could not shape the container. And it certainly would not change the content. 
In Genesis 15, 19 through 20, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. This is to his brothers. What's happened is they have all come down to Egypt now. They had to come buy grain. Joseph ends up in charge. We'll talk about that in a bit, but he ends up in charge under Pharaoh. He's given the the responsibility of, of preparing through seven good years for seven bad years. This guy goes from the prison literally to the penthouse. That's what literally happens here. And uh, they come some years into his into his act of management. In he's already prepared seven years. They're into the seven years of famine now. And now his brothers have shown up. They had to come to get grain. And the brother that they had sold and gave no value to, that they had no place for, was the one that had prepared the survival thing for them. So he comes. They come. And now later on, this is just jumping ahead. I don't have time to dive into the whole story. They're having one final big, oh man, he's going to do us in now. See, their whole lives, they couldn't understand a a world without revenge. I'm so glad God's not into revenge. He told them, don't be afraid, brothers. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives he should have added, including your own. Quite remarkable. The last, he trusted God's active help. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said that of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give. Nothing corrupted in this guy. He just let God develop the container. He made choices about his container that God would would build in his life to hold God's dream and God's best. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, later on, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one who so discerning and wise as you. You should be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. This is after interpreting his pictures, warning of seven great years coming and seven bad years after that. Prepare for the bad years in the great years. It's basically business management, isn't it? And Pharaoh says, you're my guy. There's nobody more I can trust. You're going to be second. Hold it. Pharaoh, same. Okay, as Potiphar, as the jailer. You're my guy. You're my guy. I can trust, you're second. You, you just, you run this. You get all of it. You run it. You run it. Where does that come from? A container that can hold God's best in the worst. A container 
that can hold God's best in the worst. Let's stand. How many out there are living a very under-challenged life? Okay, okay. I know we all got them. I understand that there are things that around you through the years that built up, possibly even in more recent history, things have been decided, decided around you, and there's been a lot of pain and loss in different ways, and there's been setbacks, and it just seems like life is completely out of control, and you couldn't be more wrong. God really just wants you to focus on the container. Now, what is the container? Let me just say this. The container is a surrendered heart, a trust in God, and knowing that God is in control. And because of that, you are in a place where I can be at peace in the worst of circumstances. It is not the circumstances that are going to, con- are going to control what I hold in my life. It is going to be the container of my character and my faith as I serve God. No matter what the circumstances or the, the disempowering times of life that I will walk through, God is going to be my source. He's going to be my help. And I trust his act of management of my life even when I don't see it. So as we close in prayer, I don't know what things to you today feel like you need to reboot. Because it's like, it's just, in your eyes, it would be like just a mess. I've been so disappointed with everything and everybody around me. Nothing has worked out. It's not about that working out. It's about what you are becoming. So that God can pour in what he wants. So wherever you're feeling that kind of thing today of, wow, I've just lost to other people's decisions an awful lot. You know, when you, when, when you let their poor decisions around you or unjust decisions or hurtful decisions, you're basically giving them the reins of your life. Don't. Take them back this morning. Let's reboot the ground lost to other people's decisions which brought control over your life. Take back control today. How do you do that? Give God control. Become a container that can hold what God wants you to hold. As we bow our heads to you, Lord, we're very grateful for your presence with us. We've been through things. If we've lived long enough, breathed long enough, tried long enough, we've been through stuff. We've experienced the losses of life. We've experienced the containers, Lord, that are fractured and they bleed water and they can't hold good things anymore because we've given the things that have happened to us by other people's even wills and decisions and choices to be in control of what we are, what we have become. And that doesn't hold your best. So in this moment, Lord, we want to make a simple declaration. 
We take back control by giving you control. God, I am sorry that I have not lived in your presence even though you have been with me through thick and thin. And I want to change that and know that no matter what I have been through or am currently in, you are with me. In that, Lord, I find comfort and strength. I lean into trusting your plan and purpose that there is nothing bad that has come into my life from others or that even that I have chosen that does away with the purpose or the plan. When we surrender it to you, you take bad things, even evil things, and turn them for good. In that, Lord, we trust. And we know that you're actively working even when our eyes that we look through cannot see all the things at this moment that we need to see. But God, we can't see what you see. You know the end from the beginning. So today, Lord, in a little prayer here, forgive us. Help us. Because, Lord, I want to be a container that you can pour your best into. And I don't need perfect circumstances to be that. In fact, I need everything. The bad and the good. Which you take and you use to build me. If you're here today and you've never, re never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the best decision to be made you have the greatest opportunity to be had. You have you got the greatest treasure to discover, and that is that God loves you, that God sent his son Jesus for you. And through Jesus dying on the cross, your sins have been paid for. Through his resurrection, he offers you brand new life beginning inside you now, and then eternally with him. All that that requires is not you somehow going out and becoming some better form of you. It is you recognizing that you need the grace and the mercy of God that only Jesus can bring. And that means a simple prayer of faith gets you the best of heaven. So in the quietness of your own heart, I'd ask you if you need to borrow some words, something like this. If you want to receive Christ right now, do it. And you would just say something simple like, Father in heaven, to think of you loving me is an awesome thought. Because I know I've had a lot of trouble even loving myself. Or maybe even being loved by others. But that you love me is amazing. I don't understand all of it, but as much as I understand that you sent Jesus, your son, to die for my sins, I want to receive the treasure of his work on my behalf to pay for my sins. So I receive you, Jesus Christ, as my personal Lord and Savior. May the Holy Spirit Abide in me, live in me, and begin the wonderful change of making me look more like you. Thank you for the mercy for all my sins. 
past, present, and future. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.